All right. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I hope and pray that you are doing fantastic. Uh, it's been a long couple weeks of uh, fun and excitement and outreach. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about that here in, in a few minutes. We are loving our cities. I hope you are. I hope you're doing great in your city, reaching out to your people, that you're a part of God's kingdom, his church, and you are serving your community, being the hands and the feet of Jesus. We have a food packing event coming up. We'd love for you to participate in that in May. Uh, we have camp coming up this summer. Registration is open for our kids and our teenagers to come to camp and grow in their faith for a week. And we have been talking about this topic, your faith has saved you. And we've looked at a number of times where people met Jesus and uh, their faith in Jesus made the connection happen. God provides the connection, but we have to link up to him. And our faith in Jesus is the thing that links us to him. And your faith has saved you. That's what we've been talking about. We've been talking, uh, we moved on to uh, another level of faith, and that is extreme faith. And we've been looking at some people who have had some extreme faith. Uh, one of those is a, a guy by the name of Noah. And we took two weeks to talk about Noah. And basically what God said to Noah is this. Noah, you're going to need a bigger boat. Okay, because what Noah probably thought of a boat and what God was thinking about a boat are two totally different things. Which I think is pretty cool. You know, because we dream small and God dreams big. God dreams way bigger than we can ever imagine or hope for. And he did that in the case of Noah. And so what Noah discovered was that God wanted him to do something so much greater, so much bigger than he could ever imagine that, that there's no way that it was Noah who pulled it off. It would take God to pull it off. And when God pulls it off, you know it's a big thing. It's not a little thing. It's not something we can do on our own. It's something we cannot do on our own. It will require all of God's power working through us to accomplish the goal. That is extreme faith. Well, today, today we're going to take a look at another great person of faith. Uh, this guy did incredible things. And uh, God's word to us today is this. Part that sea. Part that sea. Moses, part that sea. And that sea represents a lot of things in our lives, doesn't it? A lot of people are counting on us, people that depend on us, family members looking up to us, people that we work with, our grandkids, our children. And what they're looking for is somebody who is going to have extreme faith in God, who's going to live what they believe by their actions, by their talk, by the things they allow into their life. That extreme faith person is a person of integrity. 
that person doesn't allow the junk of the world in easily. It's going to slap you. It's going to splatter on us. But, but we're not going to sit there and just let it come in. We're not going to be okay with the junk of the world coming in. An extreme person of faith is a person who says, I am all in with you, God. And when God has a person like that, that he can work with on the earth, at some point, God's going to say, part that sea. Not part the puddle, not part the creek or jump it, but part the sea. And we're going to look at this. It's so cool. So we're going to set the stage. We're in Exodus chapter 2. You're going to want to open your Bibles to Exodus 2 between chapters 2 and 14. We see this story of Moses that leads up to this parting of the sea. And we're just going to kind of get to half of it today. And we're going to finish the other half next week because extreme faith, people with extreme faith have stories that can't be handled in a half hour. It, 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 truthfully, we could preach a whole sermon series on Moses. There's so much about his life that we can learn from. So much that God did through him. And uh, so we're going to take two weeks and dig into this. And we're going to get to part one today. Moses is born in chapter two of Exodus. He has Hebrew parents. So he is part of the Hebrew nation, the children of Abraham, right? And he is a man of the house of Levi. And, uh, and he is, his mother is a Levite woman. So it's all part of this Hebrew nation. In Acts chapter 7, we see a summary of the life of Moses when Stephen preaches this, uh, this message to the people who are about to stone him in Acts chapter 7. And Stephen gives them a little history lesson about their faith. These are the religious leaders. These are the Pharisees. They're, they've got Stephen. They're going to stone Stephen. But they, Stephen has an opportunity before he gets killed to preach about Jesus and his the history leading up to Christ. Beautiful thing. So in Acts chapter 7, this is what Stephen says about Moses. And at that time, Moses was born, Exodus 2. He was no ordinary child. <clears throat> for three months, he was cared for by his, his family, his birth mother. When he was placed outside, remember, in the basket, in the river, because Pharaoh made a decree to kill all the babies born. Okay, all the baby boys born. So Pharaoh's daughter took him in and brought him up as her own. The way they were supposed to kill those babies was they were supposed to toss them into the river and kill them. Well, Moses' mother puts baby Moses in a basket and floats him in the river, and Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's daughter picks him up, finds him, and raises him, wants to raise him, and then actually asks for a Hebrew woman to come and help raise this baby with her, and it happens to be Moses' mother. So she gets to raise her own child through this horrible, evil murdering of these babies. 
Verse 22, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and in action. This is baby Moses. So all of Moses' life can be summed up in three groups, right? 40, 40, and 40. The first 40 years, the second 40 years, and the third 40 years. First 40 years, he's born all the way until he leaves Egypt. Remember, he sees a Hebrew child, uh, one of his brothers being uh, battered and beaten. And so he comes to his rescue and he kills the Egyptian. So he flees out into the wilderness where he will be for 40 years. When God will speak to him in a burning bush and will call him to go back to Egypt and, and, and deliver the people out of Egypt. And that will be the last 40 years of Moses' life. So 40, 40, and 40. He's no ordinary Baby, he is no ordinary guy. His beginnings are miraculous, how he is uh, preserved, how God preserves this child. The middle of his life is crazy, and the end of his story is of biblical proportions. Incredible stuff that only God could do. Now, most people know the story of Moses, and most people know about the Hebrew children. They find themselves in Egypt, right? That's where God's people end up, in Egypt. Moses is there. Uh, Joseph has kind of gone on ahead of them. And they find themselves in Egypt. It starts off great. It starts off with plenty. It starts off really good. Okay? The covenant that God had made with Abraham years ago about the promised land, that his God's people would one day inherit the promised land, has made them now a great nation. God said he would bless Abraham and give him many children. And so they are a mighty nation now in Egypt. And they have great potential. And they have, as a people, they have a bright, bright future. They're going to inherit the promised land one day. Hasn't happened yet, but they're going to inherit it. They came to Egypt to escape a famine that would wipe out many, many people. Remember, the famine was coming. They, that Joseph, that they sold into sla slavery to an Egyptian person, was now a ruler in Egypt, right? And the Hebrew ch children escaped this great destruction. In time, a different pharaoh comes to power, right? And this pharaoh who once allowed the Hebrew children to live in Egypt, now he, he doesn't care about the Hebrew children at all. And before long, they become the workforce for Pharaoh and the Egyptians. They become slaves at the hand of an evil Pharaoh. Joseph in Egypt is 93 years, was in, was in Egypt for 90 three years. Think about this. From the time that his brothers threw him in a pit, sold him to a caravan, which took him to Egypt, and now he is raised to power in Egypt, and to the time that Joseph dies, 93 years, and during that time went through many pharaohs, through the time lifespan of Joseph. But now, now here come the uh, the Hebrew children, and they're in Egypt, and they've had a time of plenty and good, and now they are being used as slaves. Pharaoh, at the time of Moses, was, some say, was Ramses. 
We hear uh, the name Ramses is the Pharaoh at that time, but most likely the Pharaoh at the time of Moses one was his name was Menhotep the second. Menhotep the second, and he this Pharaoh was a slave driver. He did not care for the uh, Hebrew children. He saw them as a threat, and so he oppressed them and he used them as slaves. So God's people are not just oppressed. They are burdened, and as you can imagine, they are miserable. In fact, when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush, this is what God says to Moses. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. And now the cry, in verse 9, he says this, And the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. And so God is fully aware of his children. Aren't you glad? God is fully aware of you. He is fully aware of where you are, where you live, what you do, how you're being treated, and how you treat others. He is fully aware of your life. This should cause us to be careful how we live. This should cause us to be very careful about how we treat others. This should, should, should cause us to have to think about what we're doing with our lives. How we're using the things that God has blessed us with. What we're allowing into our life what we're trying to resist. All the things that help a person like Moses and Noah become men of extreme faith are the kind of things that we should be doing with our life because the Lord hears their cry. The Lord sees what's going on. And so begins this great adventure of God and Moses. And it is going to be wild. Like Noah in the big boat, like Jonah in the big fish, like Daniel in the lion's den, like Peter released from prison, like Esther in the Jewish nation. God again comes to our rescue because this is what God is all about. He's about deliverance. He's about rescue. He's about healing the brokenhearted. God is about rescue and he comes to our rescue. So many times God has rescued us. More times than you will ever know God has rescued you. You may not be aware of them, but God has spared your life. Over and over in my own life, God has spared my life more than once. And he has a purpose and he has a reason for it. So I've been gone for a couple weeks. I've been, I've been here with you on, uh, on uh, the recording, but I have not been live with our people at the church building. So I've been gone for a couple weeks. I want to share with you a couple things. So this last week, I've been fishing. This is, these are the boys, Stevie, Bobby, Michael, Pauly, Frankie, and Wahoo. This is Wahoo. Okay, we got Wahoo and we got Amberjack. Caught a bunch of other fish. This is uh, George Adrian, my good buddy's boat. Went down to the Fort, Fort Myers for a little while, Stevie's place, and then over to the Keys and then back to Fort Myers. These are the boys. That's the Yahoo. 
four, oh, about four feet long. Beautiful fish. Had a great time fishing. This is the whole group. There's George, his little his son, TJ, and then Colton over there. And then these are the, the boys, the boys. Had a great time catching fish, living it up in the Keys, and just exhausted, but so much fun. Now, for the more important time that I was gone, this, that was a great time, but then week one, we, I was in Vegas. So in Vegas with Scarlet Hope, you, you really need to get on uh, their website or their social media, Instagram, and hear some of the videos, see some of the video, hear some of the stuff that went on. But let me share with you a couple pictures because this is a rescue mission. This, this ministry is going into dark places where no one else is going to go. Christians are not going to go to these places. Only those who have been called to go into the dark places and reach women who are stuck and, and uh, trapped in these uh, places of darkness and evil, and they need to be rescued. And Scarlet Hope goes into these places and rescues these women. Now, this is the group of women that kind of went with Rochelle, uh, or at least met with Rochelle in Vegas. Some of them, one came from Las Vegas, some from Kentucky, others, uh, a whole nother group that isn't in this picture came from uh, Virginia. And so some of these people are from Vegas, others are from Reno. And these all women all met, were together for the four days. I was down there with them. And uh, the reason I wanted to put this picture up is that rose. Now that rose is the, 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 the thing that they, they use when they're out on the streets ministering to these women or they see, they see a woman walking down the street that looks like she's uh, maybe uh, homeless, maybe she's trafficked, maybe she's a prostitute, maybe she's, she's in Vegas walking the strip looking for someone to um, sell herself to. And so these women jump out of the van and they approach them with this rose. And they, they say, we'd love to give you this rose. And then they talk to them and they share with them and they talk to them about Jesus and they offer them hope to get out of this lifestyle, to be rescued, to be delivered. And they're just handing out uh, 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 the hope of God to them. It's a beautiful thing. I put this picture on here, but not as a selfie, but as what's going on back here. There's a, there was a girl back there that was, um, we don't know what she was, but she was, she was in a corner against the wall. This is Vegas, that's a casino. And she was scared to death. She was huddled down in this corner. She didn't want anyone to come near her. And uh, instantly Rochelle saw her and went over to her and uh, kept her distance, but, but began to talk to her and um, had a conversation with him and just with her and just offered her hope if she wanted out. We almost were able to take this girl and get her out of that situation that she is in, uh, but she she just couldn't get out of that just yet. So sometimes sometimes hope happens, sometimes hope is gonna happen down the road. But, but this was one of those situations. Uh, this is another woman that they met with at McDonald's. And the, this, this is cool because uh, what Scarlet Hope is able to do now with uh, a lot of uh, complexity behind it, but they're able now to have uh, cell phone or text message phone numbers of women in the sex industry, whether they're a prostitute or they're selling themselves or in whatever way they are on the internet, the, the, there's a program that will scrub and pull together all the names and all the phone numbers, not names, but phone numbers of people who are promoting themselves for sex in some way or another. And, and uh, they were able to do that by zip code 
or area code in in Vegas. So thousands and thousands of numbers that they had that they were able to text these women. They text thousands, over 4,000 women they text while we were in Vegas. And, and, and then they get replies back from these women who want out, who want rescue, who want help. And some of the women that were there, we were able to then go and meet with them face to face. So it went from a text message to a phone call to a face to face meeting with the with a girl offering her the hope of Jesus. This is a rescue mission. This is so cool what these women are doing. This was kind of crazy. Look, here is a strip club, strip club that the girls went into while we were in Vegas. The, the women would take gifts into these strip clubs. They went into a bunch of strip clubs in Vegas and, uh, uh, and, and uh, ministered to the women there if they could get to the women and talk to them. Some clubs, they're only allowed to leave the gifts and they don't get to meet with the women. Some clubs are able to go in deeper. There is a Scarlet Hope in Vegas already there. So they went there and worked with what was already happening and then expanded it. But I wanted you to see that strip club sign right here. Can't see it, but it says, repent for the kingdom of God has come. <laughs> or repent and believe the good news. It says something like that. It says repent right there. But it's just, the contrast is just incredible uh, in that picture, I thought. I got to also run into this guy. Some of you might recognize him. Tony Dungy, saw him. He's down there at the Super Bowl. And that's all. All right. So, Vegas. Went to Vegas. Great rescue mission going on in Vegas. So God uses regular people, just regular people, to do great big things. Even today, just regular people like you and me. People who are willing, people who are surrendered, people who are saying, God, use me, God, use me, God, use me for your glory. People who are not getting entangled with the world and the junk of the world. People who, who go, you know what, I see the evil in this and I'm going to reject it. I'm not going to be okay with it. I'm not going to watch it. I'm not going to listen to it. And I'm not going to participate with it. I may go into it and reach those who are in it, but I'm not going to participate with the evil that is going on there. That goes from our living rooms to the streets, to our workplaces, to our pleasure things, to the things we love to do in our, ha our, hobby, our habits, you know, or our hobbies, sorry, hobbies, all of it. We say no to evil and we say yes to God because that's what extreme people of faith do. That's how they live. And God uses just regular people who are willing to do that. And in Egypt, he uses just this normal guy to do a miraculous work, the faith, the faith of one man and the spiritual power of God connect. These two, the God's power connects with this one man and then it, God goes to work through this one man and sparks are going to fly and plagues are going to come and at the hands of an evil ruler, people are going to suffer. When the leadership is evil, people will suffer. And then God will hear, and God will see, and God will come to the rescue. And so Moses is in Egypt, and the score is 9-0 to zero in favor of Pharaoh. Nine times. 
God will do these different signs and wonders and plagues. And nine times Pharaoh will not let the people go. And it will take plague number 10, the hor a horrible affliction upon, Israel, upon uh, Egypt and all of the Egyptian people will end in a very sad victory for God's people. It's not a good day on the earth when God has to go to that extreme to get the attention of people before they'll wake up and turn to him. And the firstborn of all of Egypt families will die, will perish. And the blood on the doorposts will spare those Hebrew children who understand and know to put the blood on their doorpost. And those children will not die. The ultimate victory will belong, even though the score is 9-0, to zero, the ultimate victory will belong to God's people, to Moses. And can we can just consider that for a minute? Nine times God gives Pharaoh a tiny taste of his ultimate power. Nine times, plus a few others. God inflicts pain and suffering on the Egyptians to wake Pharaoh up, to show him that he is God and Pharaoh is not. And nine times Pharaoh re refuses to obey. How many times in our own lives does God's call for us and God's prompting for us and God's leading in our life, how many times does it just bounce right off our heart or our head and we reject it and we refuse it or we're just too busy, we don't even see it? How many times? Pharaoh's hard heart just continued to reject God. He just was unwilling to surrender. Surrender. And in this, what we see nine times is the patience of God. God could have just wiped them all out. He could have rained down fire and just took out all of Egypt and spared all of the Hebrew children. He could have brought a disaster upon them like he did Sodom and Gomorrah. God's patience is so great and so good. Remember, he's God. He doesn't have to be this patient. He doesn't have to be nine times patient with us. But this shows us that he is. He will try very hard to get your attention. He will nudge us toward change. He will nudge us toward repentance or perhaps leading us into some mission or some ministry, prompting us to, to let go of what we're holding on to and go with it, him wherever he leads us. And in his steadfastness, he wants us to stop running from him and start moving toward him. That's what God wants. Pharaoh had a super hard heart and the Lord gave him plenty of chances. But at some point, God will say, fine, have it your way. He will say, have it your way. 
And with Pharaoh, God just kept turning up the intensity little by little by little, trying to get his attention. The first warning, remember the first warning was simply Moses just saying, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no, not going to do it. And then it was a staff on the ground and it became a snake. And Moses picked it up and turned back into a staff and Pharaoh still, no. And then he puts his hand in his cloak and he pulls it out and it's leopardous and he puts it back in and it's completely healed again. And Pharaoh says, no. And then these plagues, these plagues, 10 of them, 10 of them, but the first nine didn't result in death for people. They were just plagues, frogs and lice and flies and just irritating, nasty, like what is going on here? Uh, boils and hail and fire and locusts and darkness. Nine times you would think Pharaoh would get it, but he didn't. His heart was so, so very hard. And then it took the death of all the firstborn of Egypt, people and beasts, not babies, not the, 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 the newborns like Pharaoh did to the Hebrew children, but the firstborn, which meant the one who was in line to become Pharaoh next was taken, perished. Pharaoh's oldest son would die. And Pharaoh would finally let God's people go. He would let the children go. And so off they go out of town, headed into the desert to worship God. That's what the Bible says. Let my people go so we can go off into the wilderness and worship our God. That's what Moses was told to tell Pharaoh he wanted the people to do. Did you get that? Delivered to go and worship God. That's, that's what they were delivered for. To go and worship God. That's what you and I have been delivered for. To go and worship God. 600,000 men. Plus women and children. And the Bible says many other people, large droves of livestock and flocks and herds, wandering, moving, marching out of Egypt into the desert. They had lived in Egypt for 430 years. Think about it, 430 years. Think of all the generations that came and go, the growth of the Hebrew nation. And God promised Abraham that he would become a mighty nation, and now he has. And they're there in Egypt, kind of trapped under this evil Pharaoh. 430 years from the time of Joseph to the exodus with Moses. 430 years they were enslaved in Egypt. At least a good part of that they were enslaved. Through the good times and through the hard times. And in chapter 13, it starts with the God consecrating and commemorating the day that they came out of Egypt. God is making going to make a big deal about it. And here's what it says in Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter 
For God said they will face war, they might change their minds, and they might return to Egypt. And so God led the people around the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. A couple things to note here. This is, this is incredible. God, God already knows that, that if he lets them go the shorter route, they might fight some, face some adversity, but it's so close to where they came from that they'll just, they might, he said they might, come back. In other words, there's free will involved here still. God is not making them go out and keep going and, the, and the, they're not ever coming back because God's not going to let them. They are going to have the free will. And in their free will, they might choose to come back. And God says, I'm not going to let them do that. I'm going to put them in a different situation. It might be a harder situation, but, but they're going to they're gonna go and they're not going to come back because they don't need to come back into slavery. Verse 19, Moses took the bones of Joseph, Joseph, who was there for 93 years, and, and, and made a promise that they would take his bones and he would be buried with them in the promised land when they reached there. And so he was not going to stay in Egypt. He did not want his bones to remain in Egypt. And so Moses takes Joseph's bones because Joseph made it. Uh, the Israelites swear on oath. He said, go. God, he said, God will surely come to your aid. And then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. Verse 20, after leaving Sokoth, they, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By, the day, by day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them, and on their way by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so, they, so that they could travel by night or day. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. And so Pharaoh lets the people go. He finally says, get out. Evil's grip cannot fight against the power of God. Eventually, it will have to give in. It will let go. It may take time. It may take nine times. But eventually, that evil grip will let go, as it did with the Hebrew children in Egypt. And God did not let them go the shorter route. God did lead them through a longer route, a longer route, not the path of least resistance. That is a lesson for us. Both paths were going to be tough, right? The shorter had some battles, the longer would be more final. On the longer path, there was no turning back, no turning back. God had some business to finish up as he always does. Some with his children. He had to deal with his Hebrew children, right? He didn't let them go the shorter way because he knew. He knew what they would be prone to do. And so he's going to take them the longer way, not the path of least resistance, but the longer path. And God had some business to deal with Pharaoh as well along this path. He's not done dealing with both groups. Note. Note this, and we're going to wrap this up right here. They went out. They left Egypt ready for battle. When they walked out of Egypt, they walked out of Egypt ready to fight. 
They had their spears. They had maybe their shields. They had their belt on. They had their shoes on. They were ready to fight if that was what was necessary. They, they were not going to Disneyland. They were not walking out into the wilderness to go to Disney World. This was not a vacation. This was a deliverance from bondage. And they were going to have to fight for it. You got it? They were going to have to fight for it. I don't think we realize this. I think the grace of God that has come down to us, that is free, that God pours out in his son Jesus, that, that we didn't do anything for that. God did all of that. He provides on a platter for us salvation and grace. That's the free gift of grace. We can't do anything to get that, earn that, or bring that down. God did all of that. We truly are grace, saved by grace. But our faith is what brings us into that grace. And you may have to fight your way to it. Because the devil is going to keep you from it with everything in him. He doesn't want you to go get that grace. He doesn't want you to enter into that. And these guys, they left Egypt ready for battle because they knew they might have to fight for it because extreme faith is ready to fight. If necessary, prepped to do so. We are willing to go to battle. We are willing to go to, 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 to do whatever it takes for the cause, to give it all, to lay it all out there on the line. For ourselves, for our kids, for our families, for our friends, for our workmates. We are willing to go to the extremes for them. And we might have to fight for them. We might have to go into dark places to rescue them. Extreme faith is also ready to watch the glory of God. Right? Extreme faith is also ready to hear God say, Sit this one out. I've got it. And, and that's what's going to happen in this story next week when we see it all unfold. And sometimes, sometimes extreme faith just raises their hands as God says, Moses, part that sea. Right here, see it? Part that sea. Moses, part that sea. Because that's what extreme faith is willing to do. It's willing to fight. It's willing to obey and just watch the glory of God and be ready to do whatever God calls you to. And it's also ready to do whatever God says to do. If that's repent, repent. If that's be baptized, be baptized. If that's to, to, to go on a mission field, go. Whatever God is calling you to do. Extreme faith says, I am willing to go where you send me, God. I will do whatever you want. I'm not so busy living my life that I'm not ready to do whatever you want. That's what Moses was ready to do. That's what Noah was willing to do. The question is, are you and I Willing to do whatever God calls us to do. 
I'm going to see you guys next week, and we're going to finish the second half of this amazing, incredible, miraculous, powerful story of God and Moses. Until then, I'll see you next week, guys. Have a, a blessed, great week. Go and love your city for Jesus. See you.